so much, worship team. Um, I know Lacey's right here. I don't know if everybody else kind of went to do the thing for a minute, but really what an amazing presence this morning. Uh, thank you guys for being obedient to the things that God had for our family this morning. Um, the last song we sang, <coughs> funny story before I start, we were in uh, up at camp. This was a couple of years ago now, and that song is playing, and it's um, a really good moment <laughs> that we're having at camp. We're, in our, we're up at Pinecrest, which is the the campus that our students and our children go to for summer camp, right? It's a super cool campus. It's a great place. And so we're actually down in the lower chapel, which is underneath the main chapel. Okay, so that song is playing on the keys, and it's a beautiful moment. And we get to the part where it says, and the ground shakes beneath us, and all of a sudden there is a legit earthquake. Boom, and we're all like, oh, my gosh. And we're praying for people, and then we start staring at each other like, do we need to leave? Are we evacuating? What's happening? So every time I hear that song, I love that song, but I'm always reminded of the fact that literally the ground shook a couple years back when we were ministering up at Pinecrest. So it was kind of a cool experience, but anyway. Um, so this morning, we already know that it's a little different. Pastor Craig sent us his greeting this morning. Um, pray for them. Thankfully, they're on the mend and uh, will be back with us soon. So pray for them as they continue out their time of uh, just being careful and, um, and faith getting better. So we're thankful that she is doing well. So, um, but God is good. He's on the throne, amen? Right? This didn't surprise him. So um, this morning I'm sitting, I feel a little bit different this morning, kind of like this is more of a family meeting, kind of. It would be a discussion if we were a little closer. And it's really just something that's been on my heart. Uh, that the Lord has been speaking to me. So how many of you know that there are times and seasons uh, where the Lord starts speaking a corporate theme to his church and to his body, right? I've been a Christian since I was like 11 and started to understand more of the things of the Spirit around 16, 17. And so it's been really interesting to watch the flow of the Father in different moments when God seems to be really honing in on something specific for his church and for his body. And so these themes that we, you know, I mean, a few of them, just to name a few, uh, themes like revival, identity, healing, redemption, right? They're all parts of the kingdom. And I don't actually think that they ever stop being the theme. I just think that there are parts um, or moments in time where God is just speaking one theme louder than the other, even if it's just for a time, okay? So that's kind of, you know, raise your hand. You getting me? You following me? Does that make sense? Okay. I want to make sense this morning. So um, the last almost two years, I can't believe it'll be two years in March since our worlds were flipped upside down where things started to happen that are still far beyond our control. Um, even to almost two years in, we still have a lot of unknowns, don't we? We still have things that we learned and all of that we had to change. Um, some things needed to be weeded out of our normal life, and that's okay. We need to find our new normal, and certain things that we had uh, deemed as normal weren't healthy, so they had to go, and that's okay. We're learning in this experience. So we've learned the things that we need to keep close um, going through that season. And so in the last little while, I felt the Lord impressing on me a personal theme, but I really do believe that it's for all of us. I believe it's for his church um, here at Crosspoint and beyond. Um, and I believe it is where the Lord is calling us even louder today more than ever in the midst of our world, in the midst of the things that we 
are seeing and we are dealing with. And the topic I've chosen this morning um, is holiness. I want to talk about it a little bit. I said to my husband earlier this, this week, why can't the Lord ever give me something easy? Not that anything's ever truly easy. But why can't I just be one of those lighthearted, why can't I just like speak about something just, you know, the things of the kingdom aren't airy, so I'm not trying to, you know, dull it down, but you get it, right? Like holiness? Really, Jesus? That's what you're going to have me talk about today. <sighs> anyway, I learned a long time ago to go with the flow who's created me in. I can't be something I'm not, and I shouldn't try. <laughs> so, anyway, but holiness is such a churchy word, right? We sing songs about it sometimes. We didn't this morning, like, directly, so which was kind of funny. I was like, oh, I wonder what's on the set list this morning, you know, but it's all good. <laughs> no pressure. But we sing songs about it, right? We, in those songs, we ask God to purify us. We ask him to make us holy like he is, to burn away the things that are not from him or of him, right? Um, and... You know, it's, there's nothing wrong with singing the song, but do we really grasp the, the true depth of what that word is, the true depth of what we're singing in those moments, or the true depth of what he's asking of us in those moments, right? So most times when we hear the word holiness in reference to God, it feels kind of scary, and it feels intimidating. It's, um, I mean, really, realistically, there's times in the Bible where people died, <laughs> because of his holiness, right? So it is a real thing. It's a deep thing. It's a, it's a heavy topic because he's so big. He's so pure. He's so vast. And we really honestly could never begin to understand and comprehend all that he is. So him and all his holiness is just like, ah, you know, like you can't even, we just can't even begin to measure it. And when we hear the word holiness in relation to us, um, I think sometimes it feels or comes across religious. It comes across legalistic. It's like rules and regulations that we actually feel that we could never obtain. We could never meet the standard of holiness. And so we look at it as like, oh, it's just a part of the rule set. It's a part of that religious behavior and that legalistic, you know, um, behavior that we, we don't want to deal with. But um, I want to break it down a little bit today. I want to like kind of debunk it a little bit. It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be intimidating, and it shouldn't be. Holiness, by its definition, is to be set apart or unique. It's a simple word, by its definition. Our God is set apart from all other gods. He's different and unique, and history has proven this over and over again. All other gods fail in comparison to him and to who he is, correct? Amen. But in 1 Peter... Chapter 1, if you uh, want to turn there, it should be up on the, the screen here in a moment. Chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, we read this, and this is out of the Amplified. It says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. Be set apart from the world by your godly character and moral courage, because it is written, you shall be holy or set apart, for I am holy. So what does this mean for us as believers, um, as those who receive salvation and we move into this communion um, relationship with the Father? I think that, you know, I don't wrestle out as much as I used to, but I remember being a younger Christian and being like, well, if, you know, what do we do with this, right? Like, he's big, he's untouchable, he's, he's incredible in all his ways, he's, he's glorious, he's holy, but then I have this element of grace, that the Bible talks about, right? I know I'm deeply loved. I know I'm accepted because of his grace. And I know that nothing will change that. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, 
It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So be holy because I'm holy. Yet you're saved by grace and there's nothing you could do to change it. And there's nothing you could do to earn it. So we have this this in-between somewhere of how do we balance this in our lives? What does it need to look like? Biblically, what is it supposed to look like? Salvation is free. It's a free gift from heaven to us and nothing we could do to earn. There's nothing we could do to be more loved, more accepted, or, or more accepted. We are loved as much as we will ever be right now here in this moment. So we have to somehow try and wrap our minds around the fact that no matter if it was just today, we are loved just as much as we'll ever be loved. We are accepted and desired or wanted just as much as we'd ever be accepted, desired, or wanted. Holiness, however, is a char- characteristic and an attribute of the Father. So therefore, just like we know he's a provider, we know he's a healer, a deliverer, a restorer, etc., etc., he's also holy. It's a part of who he is, and First Peter is telling us that our responsibility as a believer is to be holy too and to live differently. So because holiness is who he is, we can't separate it from who we are, okay? He's not just holy, and we look at him, although he is, but he's telling us to, to do the same. Although he understands we'll never obtain perfection, we'll never get to the level he's at, obviously. But we cannot separate it. We are called to live a life that is different and a life that is set apart from the world around us. This shouldn't be intimidating and scary, truly. Holiness and being set apart part should be a lifestyle. It should be the way that we live as Christians and as people who love Jesus. But just as we read a minute ago, we're saved by grace. Nothing we can do to to earn and obtain our salvation. We just receive. So here's the thing, though. Because I know that I live under the umbrella of grace, my heart should always be to move closer to the Father. Right? And to the things that make me more like him. Romans tells us not to use our grace as an excuse. Don't use your grace as an excuse to keep doing and living the way you want and doing what you want. Instead, we need to become more like him. Take our grace for what it is. It's something we don't deserve. It's something that we could never obtain on our own. But don't use it as, a good ex- as what we deem as a good excuse to do things our own way. We have a responsibility as Jesus' people to live a set-apart and different life. We have been called higher the scripture has called us higher. And I really believe in my heart that it's time that the body of Christ started now more than any time in history to reach for the higher bar in culture instead of lowering our bar to meet the acceptance of our culture. And I know this isn't like a feel-good thing <laughs> this morning, but it'll become a feel-good thing when we surrender to it. Because we'll start to see things changed. We'll start to see people set free. We'll start to see the miraculous happen when we ourselves make the choice to surrender to his holiness in our own lives. The world needs a church that looks different than they do, right? Not one that blends in. We don't need to blend in anymore. I think that we have um, not intentionally, lines have been blurred over the course of years, years. This isn't just the last couple years. This is a long time coming. We have little by little allowed the lines to be blurred. And now we're seeing certain things. We're going, oh no, we need to take that back. We need to take that back. But it's going to come with a call of holiness. 
and it's going to come with a it's going to come with a call of separation to a point to be able to say no I am set apart I am living a different lifestyle I I I'm not standing for those things and we're going to begin to see culture shift back in the way that we need to back towards the Lord back toward the things of the spirit uh, Luke chapter 12 47 and uh, verse 47 48 and this is the message I don't always use the message in my sermons but the way this read just kind of made me chuckle a little bit and it was a little bit like oh so I figured I'd share it with you and then we'll talk about it so it says the servant who knows what his master wants and ignores it or isolately does whatever he pleases will be thoroughly thrashed that's rough (laughs) that's rough but if he does a poor job through ignorance he'll get off with a slap on the hand Great gifts mean great responsibilities. Greater gifts, greater responsibilities. So basically what it's saying here is, hey, if, if you're not living this way, uh, you know, from what's been given to you, what other translations say to whom much is given, much is required. So that's the scripture reference here. Um, but hey, if you are acting a certain way because you don't know better, hey, there's a lot of grace for that. There's a lot of grace for that. But if you're acting in a particular way, in a particular manner, and you know better, there's going to be some consequences. There's going to be consequences in your life, right? Family, wave your hand at me if you feel like you've been given much. We have been given so much. In the United States, in culture, in our relationship with the Father, we have been given a lot. And because of that, we owe him a lot. We owe him a lot out of love, not out of obligation, out of love. If all that was ever given to us was salvation, that would be enough. But he's given us so much more than that, right? So, as a parent, I have two kids, if you don't know. Um, my son is 16, almost 17. My daughter's 13. Pray for me. But as a parent, I hope they know this. I think they do. But my children know that they're loved. They know that they're supported, right? They know that there's nothing their dad and I wouldn't do for them that is the side of heaven that we could obtain for them because we love them and we, we believe in them. We do anything humanly possible for them because they are so loved. There's nothing we can't get through together as a family, as a parent-child relationship. I remember um, there's no measure of length we'd go for, we wouldn't go to for them. One time I remember one of my kids had made a mistake and it really wasn't the end of the world, but man, they just felt like it was and they were just, and I remember walking into the room, and they were apologizing. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And again, it wasn't really that big of a deal. It was, it was a mistake, you know. And I just looked at them, and I said, hey, as long as you're honest with me, we'll do every, we can get to anything together, right? It's that simple. It's that simple. That's grace, you know. They get sometimes what they don't deserve. But also as a parent, there's a flip side to that. There's a balance to that. Um, because my, my children have expectations over their life. They have boundaries. They have guidelines, right, that one and I have set up for them. Right, parents? We can't have all the grace and not some sort of balance of, of expectation or of boundaries, right? We know um, that these boundaries and expectations, guidelines, that we've put over their lives, they're to keep them safe. They're to keep them healthy and secure. And the prayer is... That, lead, that eventually would lead them closer to the Father. That's our heart, is right? At the end of all our parenting endeavors, they would just love Jesus, right? But that's the idea of living holy 
uh, a holy and set-apart life, too. There's balance to that. There's expectations on our lives. There's guidelines, and they're to keep us safe, and they're to keep us healthy, and they're to keep us secure. You know, there are times my kids say, well, my friend's parents let them do that. My friend's parents let them watch that. My friend's parents let them go there. Well, the first thing I say to them is, I'm not your friend's parent. Sorry. You know, sorry, not sorry. But the other thing is, and this goes along with what we're speaking about, what is okay for them is not okay for us. We have a call to live differently. And, I, and it's funny because, you know, they don't always like it when they get that response from us. But I'll tell you what, I've had more than one conversation with both of my kids about, oh, I was here and so-and-so was talking about this, and I told them to knock it off. Or I was here and they were watching this movie, and guess what, I hid in my sleeping bag for an hour and a half because I knew that, you know, it wasn't going to be good for me. And so those, that's funny, but when you set up those guidelines and that structure, and I believe God has set up guidelines and structure for his children, you know, it, it comes to the point where we don't think twice about honoring what he has put in place for us. There's security in both grace and holiness. They are set up together. They coincide on purpose. So we shouldn't just be seeking after the presence of God in a worship service on a Sunday morning. We shouldn't be just seeking after his presence at a conference that maybe we get the opportunity to go to, right? We should be going from glory to glory and strength to strength on the daily as we live in complete communion with him. As we allow his holiness to overtake our lives, he begins to purify us. And before we know it, the things that we used to be comfortable with, the situations we used to find ourselves in, the conversations we once took part in, they no longer interest us. They're no longer a part of who we are because we have allowed that purification process to begin in our lives. They don't entice us anymore. They don't fill us the way that they used to because we've made a conscious decision to be set apart and different and to move forward in the holiness that we've been called to as kids. We shouldn't be comfortable in all the settings or habits that were part of our life before Christ. And I know people don't like to hear that. But I will tell you what, a walk with Jesus is going to include surrender. It's going to include giving some stuff at some point, up at some point, whether we like it or not. If we want to and we desire to move closer to who he is and to be more like him and, and um, deeper in relationship with him, it's going to require us to walk away from certain things. There should be things that no longer entertain us because he saved us and we're in a process of being more like him. Living a set-apart life means that we don't leave space for assumption in our lives. Our lives are transparent. So in our family, another little thing about my family, we, we have apps on our phones, um, and we share each other's locations. Okay, So I can always see where my kids are. They can see where I am. I can see where Juan is. He can see where, where I am if he wants to. He doesn't like it, but whatever. We don't care. <laughs> but we have them, right? It's those settings are on our phone. They're on purpose, right? So that I can see if somebody's on their way home. My kids don't like the, one, the app that I have because it actually tells me how fast they were going, even though neither one of them drive. I'd be like, oh, who are you with? And why were they going 85 miles an hour? No, not really. Sometimes, <laughs> most of the time, it's me. So <laughs> they're normally with me. But yeah, so we have each other's location. Right, so that we can, as a family, just kind of keep tabs. The way that I see it, none of us should ever be in a place where we need to turn off the location from the other person. Right? If I turn off my location, 
on my husband, he could assume, I don't think he would, but he could assume that something shady is going on and vice versa, right? We don't need to live in assumption. Why do, why do we sometimes live our lives in such a way as we think we have the option to turn off our location on the Lord? We think that, well, he's not going to see me here, or I'm just going to kind of, you know, slide off here. He already knows where you are. He already knows what you're doing. So there's no point in trying to turn off the location, right? Does that make sense? Like, like he calls us to be better than that. He calls us to be higher than that and to live lives that are above reproach, to live lives that are different so that the world around us can see that difference, right? So uh, where do we begin with this? Because it's, it's kind of a big deal. According to the scripture, holiness is a big deal. Living set apart is a big deal. It's something that the Father desires from us so that we can be closer with him. So the first place I believe we begin is in his word. I believe that we begin by knowing his word, by studying his word, by meditating on his word on the daily. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 26 and 27, and this uh, passage is equating the relationship between the church uh, and Christ as like a marriage. It's the marriage passage. Okay, so it says, so that he might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word of God, so that in turn he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and set apart and blameless. Allow him, church family, allow him to wash over you as you read his word. Allow him to uh, renew your mind your body, your spirit, as you take in an active, living word of God. The Bible says that his word is alive and active. As we read it, as we allow it to wash over us, we are changed. It speaks of identity over you. Allow it to reset your mindset about certain things that you've been wavering on. There are times in, in this life that, you know, certain things happen, and what we once thought we were solid on all of a sudden seems shaky. So how do we get back to the place of being solid in the way that we are, our belief systems and our, our souls? We go back to his word. We go back to the, that foundation of his scripture. Lies you've been believing about yourself or even about God. Allow the word to wash those things away and be refined as he washes those things away. It will change you. He will change you in that process if you will allow him to wash over you with the word. The second thing I have is prayer. Go to him in prayer. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 17 through 19 says, Be unceasing and persistent in prayer. In every situation, no matter what the circumstances, be thankful and continually give thanks to God, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench, subdue, or be unresponsive to the working and guidance of the Holy Spirit. In every situation, pray it through and give thanks for it. Now, this is not easy. Because I can think of times, situations in my life, where what was going on around me wasn't something I wanted to be thankful for. But if I go back to the heart of God, I know he's good. And he only wants good things for me, but that doesn't mean life doesn't happen. But I think that as our heart is for him, we can trust even the ugliest of situations that come our way. 
because we don't waver in our trust and we don't waver in his love and his heart for us. So if we're living in such a way that is continually seeking after him, it doesn't mean those situations are going to be easier. It just means that we can trust his heart in them. So we can say, thank you, God, that you're taking me through a process and you're teaching me something that I don't know, even if we think we've already known it. Sometimes we're like, I've been here before. Why am I still, still here in this moment? I would challenge you if that's how you feel or have felt. I felt that way. We're not, uh, he's not the problem. There's something in us that maybe needs to be worked out and surrendered again. Right? We can surrender similar things many times. <laughs> we, are not, we are not like one and done. I've reached perfection in this particular area. We need to go to the Father over and over again. Say, man, I'm still working this through. Will you show me? D.L. Moody said, every great move of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. And that's at a personal level in your own life, your family life, and that's in a corporate level. Every great move of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. There is something special and powerful when we hit the floor, when we stand. It doesn't even matter. When I drive my car, when I'm just talking to him and allowing him into spaces and places and situations that I just can't figure out, that I just can't do without him. There's something about it when I praise him in prayer. When I'm like, God, only you could have done that. Only you could have come through like that. Only you knew that. Right? So whether you're petitioning for something or whether you're praising for something, every great move of God will be traced back to that kneeling moment. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. As you pray, ask the Holy Spirit to show you the places in your life that he's asking you to set apart. We will always have them. Always. I've been a Christian since I was 11. I am almost 41. I have plenty of places in my life that I know the Lord will continue to work out and show me that he wants something different for me. Ask him to convict your heart so that you can go deeper and be closer with him. If you, find your, if you find yourself still comfortable in certain situations that you're like, oh, okay, this is interesting. No, ask him to convict you. Don't just be comfortable in your funk. Ask him to convict you. We should be, you know, allowing him to, to work those things out of us. How many times, myself included, do we pray and ask the Lord to break through a situation or show us what to do? You know, Lord, I'm puzzled. Lord, this is happening. I don't know if I should go left or right. I don't know if I should take the job or if I shouldn't take the job. I don't know if I should move or not move. I don't know if I should, you know, um, go this parenting style with my kids or that one, you know, because there's like a million, right? We don't know what to do. But he can't, he can't do it or he won't do it because we've not given up or stepped away from that thing that's keeping us at arm's length from him. And this is not because his loving is conditional, the love of the Father is not conditional. Like I said earlier, you are never more loved than you are right now. You'll never be more loved than that. But as we make moves to be closer to him, we move the heart of God in these things. And he knows that we can be trusted with the answers that he's going to give us, right? The Bible says, and I don't have the scripture, but, you know, basically if you're entrusted with the little, you'll be entrusted with more. Right? So he wants us to surrender those places to him so he can say, hey, yeah. They're moving closer to me. I can, I can trust them a little more with my heart. I can trust them a little more with the next thing. So I know uh, last week Pastor Craig talked about um, the story of Moses and the encounter 
that he had with the burning bush and the presence of God, it required him to respond to the Spirit. Um, I don't believe he got into this portion of it, but um, it required a response. His encounter with the presence required him to respond. And what he had to do was to take off his shoes. You know, we talked about what he was stepping in last week. It was kind of gross. But Moses took off his shoes as a sign of humility, reverence, and respect for the presence of God. How often does the presence of God um, in our lives become what we deem as commonplace, that we lose the humility in it? We, We lose the reverence and the respect for it because we have had plenty of encounters with him. Living set apart requires a full surrender, not a convenient surrender. It's not going to be convenient all the time. And prayer draws us to the heart of God. It should put our own agendas aside. And it's okay if we go to him and, you know, unload on him. He's got big shoulders and he will handle it. He has no problem with that. And when we're done, sometimes whining, sometimes being emotional because that's the way he's created us and we don't understand things. When we're done with that, we need to put our own agendas aside and seek his answers for our life. But often to receive those answers, to receive the clarity that he desires to give us, we need to get out of our own way. Oftentimes we are the problem. And we're looking at him going, God, why don't you answer me? Why aren't you close? Why don't I hear you? Why, why, why? Get out of your own way. And ask him for his heart. Ask him for his answers. Not your own, not your own agendas. You move, he moves. The third thing that I have this morning is stand in humility and courage. A life of holiness will will cause you to stand at different times, but be humble and courageous while you stand. Stand firm in the conviction that the Father has already given to you, but always have a heart posture to ask him for what is next. We've all heard the saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And I think we've seen a lot of that in culture. You know, well, I'll stand for this. Well, you know, the line's been drawn. I'll stand for this. Oh, I'll just take a step back. Oh, I'll be the one to take a step back. And before you know it, you know, are there, there are moments when the church is not recognized or believers are not recognized because we've chosen to step back and step back and step back, you know, instead of hold the line for the things of that the scripture talks about, the things that are principles of the kingdom that shouldn't, um, shouldn't be gray areas in our life. They should be very, very well, very well-defined, black and white things. So in the book of Daniel, chapter 6, is the story of Daniel. Um, he was a satrap under King Darius. I didn't know what that was, so I looked it up. And a satrap was a provincial governor in the ancient per- Persian Empire. So Daniel was a big deal in the empire of that day under King Darius. He had a lot of responsibility and was very well respected by the king. There were two other men that he worked with in the government, and the thing was, they had it out for him, and they wanted to take him down for, I don't really know why, it doesn't say why exactly, but in Daniel 6, verses 3 and 4, it tells us this. It says, then this Daniel, because of the extraordinary spirit within him, began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps and the king planned to appoint him over the entire realm so because of his extraordinary spirit he distinguished himself the king was like hey i'm going to give him more 
in my kingdom. I'm going to give him more. Then the other two commissioners and the satrap began trying to find the reason to bring complaints against Daniel. Oh, so there it is. They were jealous. They were jealous of him. They wanted what he was going to get. Um, so they began to find reason to bring complaint against Daniel concerning the administration of the kingdom, but they could find no reason for the accusation or evidence of corruption because he was a faithful, he was faithful and a man of high moral character, character and personal integrity, and no negligence or corruption of any kind was found in him. He was a man of integrity. He was a man of character. Daniel was living a set-apart life, and the people around him knew it. And when they went to look for flaw, when they went to look for anything ugly behind the scenes, they could find nothing because he allowed himself to be so set apart in all that he did, not just in certain things that they couldn't even find anything bad to say about him. These men convinced the king, though, to sign an order that no other gods could be worshipped there in the kingdom except King Darius. And so King Darius, he signs it and then is reminded, oh, hey, by the way, King, do you remember that Daniel, he actually doesn't bow down to any other god but the living God? And so Darius is like, oh, shoot, what did I do? But it's already signed. It is what it is at this point. And what does Daniel do when he hears about this executive order? He stands or kneels. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he went into his house now in his roof chambers, his windows were open toward Jerusalem. He continued to get down on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. What did he do when the pressure was on? The same thing he did every day. The same thing he was called to do, to stand. He stood in his beliefs and what he was, he was convicted of. He didn't budge. He actually had his windows open, and he carried on as usual. And he's prayed three times a day, no matter what he was told. He lived a life of holy conviction to be set apart from the empire that he even served under. And King Darius had no choice but to throw him to the lions. Daniel went quietly, and he went with honor towards the king. There are times when we can stand quietly, and we can honor the, um, the authorities that be in our life. But we still stand we still stand. We don't bow. He was humble, but he didn't bend to the demands of the world and the culture around him, even in that moment. And we know the story. The king goes on to say how deeply distressed King Darius is. He can't sleep. Um, he stays up all night fasting and just in silence, darkness and silence. The man is distraught because he loves Daniel, because he doesn't want Daniel to be killed. That wasn't his heart when he signed the order, but he got talked into it, so he did what he did. And he was waiting for daybreak when he could go back to see what had happened to Daniel. He gets back, and Daniel is alive. Miraculously, Daniel is alive. And chapter 6, verse 22 says this. Daniel says, My God has sent his angel and has shut the mouths of the lions so they've not hurt me. Because I was found innocent before him and also before you, O king, I have committed no crime. Verse 23, then the king was greatly pleased and ordered that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den. No injury whatsoever was found on him because he believed in and relied on and trusted in his God. And he stood. He stood. When others bowed, he made a choice to stand. Our set-apart lifestyles should confuse people. Don't you think there were people on the day that were like, Daniel, just do what you need to do. Just bow to the king. 
you know in your heart what you believe, just do what you're told. You're going to get killed. And Daniel was like, no, my conviction is more important than my life. Living, pursuing holiness allows for miracles on our lives. It opens the gateway for them. It gives us favor with those around us. And when it doesn't, the Lord shuts the mouths of the lions that want to devour us. Those lions should have ripped him apart. I go to the zoo, and those lions are on the other side of the, the fence or whatever, and I still don't like it. That's still too close. Yet they put him in a den, and they put a net on the top with a rock on the top of it so nobody could get out. <laughs> but God shut the mouths of the lions, and he will do the same for you as you continue to stand in holiness and stand for your convictions and stand for righteousness. When I think of, you know, I didn't grow up Pentecostal. I actually grew up Baptist. Um, and so that's why, you know, I was a later teen years when I started to hear more, learn more about the things, you know, of the spirit and gifts and things like that. So, you know, in the last 20 plus years, um, you know, we hear a lot about things like themes like revival in our Pentecostal circles. It's something that we desire, right? Like, and we should, we should, because there's been amazing moves of God. And I would love to see a major move of the spirit in my day, like they saw way back when um, I believe in my heart that we're on the cusp of a great movement. I really do. That's another thing that I feel like God is, has really been uh, speaking with me about. One that we've never seen before. Different things. Different things. Different days cause, call for different things. Um, but I also believe that we have a role and a responsibility as his church to show the world something different as we move in and towards that season of a movement of his spirit. Revival starts with us, and it also requires something from us. We want to see movements individually, corporately. It starts with us. An old-time revivalist, uh, maybe some of you are familiar with him, Gypsy Smith, he said this. He was asked where revival begins, and this was the answer that he said. He said, I draw a circle around myself, and I make sure that everything in that circle is right with God. So, you know, so that blows my mind. You draw a circle. It doesn't matter what the world looks like. It doesn't matter what culture says. And we're praying. We're saying, God, do something. God, do something. Would you intervene? Would you heal? Would you change the situation? And Gypsy Smith says, I do this. Is this okay? Is this heart right? Is this life holy? Is this life set apart? We don't worry about the masses. We worry about us. As I read through Daniel preparing for today, it was yesterday, it really did make me emotional. It made me realize, you know, Daniel had every reason to bow. He had every reason to walk away, to just, you know, do whatever he had to do to live. Um, it really humbled me and convicted me in a lot of ways. Daniel was, a preserve, he was preserved as a testament to the one true living God. When he stood and uh, was found alive, you bet the people of that empire heard about it? I bet they did. I bet they did. Talk about revival. Talk about movement, right? And I think, you know, my heart this morning is that here together as a family in January of 2022, uh, we would make a commitment as a family, as friends, to 
start living set apart. To start being different in the areas that the, God, that the Lord is calling us to be different in. It doesn't mean that we're walking away from people. Right? It's not like, sorry, I'm living holy now. So, peace. No. No, no, no. Jesus didn't do that to people. Um, he spent a lot of time with people that had all sorts of history and baggage. But he always introduced them to the Father. Always. He didn't have engagements with people that didn't bring them back to his heart and back to his purpose. Right? So it means that we invite people, when we're talking about relationships, we invite them into our world instead of going to theirs. Right? Um, sometimes it could mean walking away from things. But it's all about what God's asking you, what he's convicting you of this morning. Because what he's asking me to do, I'm in a different place in my process than you are. And that's okay, and that's the beauty of the kingdom, that we spur each other on, and we encourage one another, and we, we walk our own walk. Right? We're all working out our faith. All working out our faith. And, you know, sometimes it could end up, like I said earlier, like I tell my kids, what's okay for you um, I'm sorry, what is okay for other people is not okay for you. Is God asking you to, to back off of something that like, hey, everybody else seems to be okay with this? It could be the simplest thing to the hardest thing. But it's all about our heart conviction, what he's asking from us this morning. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it is hard. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. Um, Lace, do you mind coming just play a little bit? I didn't tell her that. Thank you. I want everybody to just close your eyes this morning. And I really do want to give a moment for response. We're still in somewhat of the first of the year. And I believe that God is calling his church deeper. And I believe that God is calling his people um, to be different in the season. And so um, I just want to take a moment and, you know what, just talk to the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what he's asking of you in this moment. And if you are here and you're like, man, I already know. I already know. And I'd like somebody to pray with me. The, the front here is open and I'll be here. We'll have some of our prayer team, our staff come and meet up with you. If it's something like, and you don't even have to tell us what it is. You're like, I just want somebody to stand in agreement and pray with me. I want to invite you to just come. And Lisa's going to play. I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, you can be dismissed. But if you would like prayer, if there's something you'd like to um, us to stand with you on, we would love to. We would be honored to this morning. So, God, I just thank you for you. God, I thank you for your holiness, and I thank you for the truth of your word that changes us. Father, we just commit to you this morning as a church and as individuals, Lord, that we will be set apart, that we will be different, that people will be able to look at our lives and wonder what's going on that's so different. Lord, I ask that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, reveal your heart for your church and for your people this year, God. Lord, I just bless your children today, God. I thank you for them. Lord, I ask that you would just be with them this week as they go about their work and their families, Lord, that you would just be close to them. In Jesus' name, amen.